Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. We're on Twitter. What? We're on Facebook. What's a Facebook? We're on Instagram. <laughs> and we are on the WWW. But guess what else we're on? What? We're on YouTube! Oh! <laughs> YouTube! That's right. We have our own channel. Oh. Yes, there you can find our episodes, some trailers, and a whole lot more we're cooking up. And we have a very, very special opportunity for you. That's right. If you subscribe at YouTube, our channel there, this month of July, you will be entered to win a custom watching plan from Why Watch That. If you win, yeah, we'll tell you, hey, here's some things for you, just you, to check out. We will curate that thing for you. Ew, why watch that? We're kind of nice over here, aren't we? We sure are. So if you're interested in that, and heck, you should be on the YouTube anyway. The YouTube. See, I was saying like, oh, man. <laughs> Not just a YouTube. <laughs> be on the YouTube anyway at our channel, Why Watch That. Subscribe in July, and maybe you'll know what to watch from here forth. So why watch that TV talk? Well, listeners, my goodness, the things that we'll do to get you this information. <laughs> this is our third take. <laughs> oh, you know what? Our brains are everywhere because we've been everywhere. It looks like we've just wrapped up two major festivals. You just wrapped the Tribeca TV Festival, which we'll hear a little bit more about later this week. And you can even check it out on social media now. And then I just came back from Toronto, from the Toronto International Film Festival, and we forgot all about TV. (laughs) There's so much happening right now in television that we could not dare give you all this festival coverage without giving you the television, proper television coverage, so that you can keep in the know, because guess what? Fall TV is here. And if fall is not. (laughs) So we have um, some series premieres as well as uh, some season premieres and a a, a handful of season finales. This is going to be a two-parter. I cannot talk tonight. It's going to be a two-parter and I will try not to unwrap candy. (laughs) 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 The first we're going to talk about, Critic, is... This show that I've seen advertised everywhere. I mean, when you look at the poster alone, it looks like it looks like Guy Ritchie's um, Sherlock Holmes features, that dark blue hue and kind of a very similar texture of clothing. And, and uh, it's called Carnival Row. 
And it's on Amazon. There's about eight episodes. Listen, it's already been picked up for season two before the series even premiered. And the cast is somewhat familiar to most of us. I don't know much about it, but I am curious to see what your thoughts are on this new, fantastical, strange, quirky, dark, blue-hued TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Interesting... uh bringing up the Sherlock Holmes movies, those Guy Ritchie movies, you said, yeah, I think that pretty much is the look. That's a good thing to keep in mind. And uh, we are in the fantasy genre. We are dealing with that. Uh, Wikipedia says neo-noir fantasy. Now. Okay. Okay. There was this war um, between factions of men and, and fairies, whom they call fae. Fairies, mi- like f- flying things? Like flying, yeah, uh-huh, Tinkerbell. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Look, we don't just inform, we gotta entertain. <laughs> That's right, tink tink. So, some of the men fought with the fairies against other men. But the men who were fighting against the fairies won. Okay, now. Oh, it sounds like Lord of the Rings, Hobbit. All, just, you know, go straight on down the line. All of this stuff. Now, a Carnival Row, from what I understand, is completely uh, new. It's not based on anything. Um, and they really did. I mean, they really went through a lot of world building, coming up with all kinds of creatures and storylines and oh, lands. Okay. And, you know, kind of just like you said, Lord of the Rings. And this is created by Renee Echevarria and Travis Beecham. So a lot of work went into this. But did it pay mm. off? Well, at the moment, at the beginning of the series, there is like this big chase going on and it's dangerous. People are dying or Faye are dying. And one thing mm. in particular, her name is Vignette, played by Cara Delevingne. She's flitting around, oh. flying around, trying to help people off of this land to get to this boat. Why? And mm. does she succeed? Now, she's been hmm. doing this. She's been someone who is guiding Faye off of their own land, which is now ruled by those humans that won the war against them. So she's helping the Faye get onto this boat that takes them to another land. And this other land is uh, the habitat of the humans that were fighting alongside the Faye. Okay. But what we find out is she actually ends up on this boat. Why? I won't tell you. Hmm. So this means yeah. she's no longer shepherding people off of the phase land. She's gone. Hmm. And oh, okay. a- along the way, we know she's experienced this major loss. Some guy, his name is Rycroft, we know. Philo is what they call him. Played by Orlando Bloom. She has a picture of him. It looks like that lithograph kind of thing. No. Dead? She thinks he is. We know he's not. He's an inspector in the land where she's going. She don't know it, though. Hmm. Uh-oh. And imagine, everybody, this land where humans live, there's an influx of fey and other magical creatures. How hmm. do you think they respond? Now, they did fight alongside the fey, but does that matter to those denizens? Hmm? Hmm. And hmm. what is the inspector doing? He does have a soft spot for magical creatures. He does not want them to be abused. So what happens when Vignette and Philo meet? Do they meet? 
Mm -hmm. Of course they do. But what comes of that? Also, if you are a, a migrant fae, what kind of work can you find in this new land? What might yeah. you be relegated to? And Sounds so on and so forth. Yeah, and I'm not getting into all of it. It's a whole bunch of stuff going on that if you watch it, you'll find out. Uh, so sounds familiar, like you said, right, Ref? Mm. Obviously, this is a whole thing about immigration. Like, that's clear. Right. Now, the question is, are they nimble enough to pull it off? No. Oh. And I'm going to tell you why. Please. The world, the world building is great. It's great. However, this is fantasy. And regardless of the genre, we've been talking about this, Ref. If you're going to do anything... You have to be committed to it. You have to have a joy to doing it or an intensity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Something. I did not see that here. What I saw here was people going, okay, it's time to go to work. I'm going to try. It was that kind of thing. I didn't feel like everyone was like, oh, this is a great world to get into. Huh. Let's get excited. I didn't feel that at all. Uh, Orlando and Kara have no chemistry. None. Oi, oi. Sorry. I'm just going to call it. And it's interesting that Amazon has doubled down on this with a second season. Uh, now, I did not finish season one, as you could tell. So I don't know whether it gets better or not, because I just didn't care. The reason I didn't care is I didn't feel like they cared. Oh. Well, I think that's an interesting observation that you have. If, mm -hmm. if you feel like that the actors or the creators or writers or whoever didn't care that it's hard to care yourself. It looks pretty. So <laughs> moving on to the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, which is on Netflix currently. It's a total of 10, or 10 episodes. It, this is its first season, of course. I don't know much about this one either, but it sounds like it's in a similar vein of fantasy. I don't know. So uh, do tell us about Dark, the Dark Crystal. Yes, now this is based on the movie, The Dark Crystal, um, from way back in the 80s. And it does come to us from the Jim Henson Company. Okay, so if you saw the Dark Crystal movie, you know all about it. If you didn't, the question is, do you need the movie or can you just watch the show? Now the huh. show is a prequel to the movie. Oh. So let me let me tell you what's going on. Yes, we're in fantasy again. Yes, this time we have puppets. You have CGI, you have effects, you have all kinds of blending of different skills coming together here. Um, and Louis Leterrier is Ooh. the director. Now he's a movie director and that shows okay. on the screen here. So here's what's going on. I'm gonna try to do this as clearly as possible. There is this land called Thra, this world, where all of these creatures live. And at the heart of Thra is the Agra. She is the keeper of secrets. She's the embodiment of the planet. She, how she feels, how she looks is a reflection of the planet. And she has a connection to the crystal of truth. Oh. So this crystal of truth provides power, provides the energy, the essence of all the little creatures on planet Thra. So it's all of this interconnected kind of thing. One day, okay. one day, this uh, group of seemingly wise creatures comes to Thra, comes to the Augur and says, hey, we've explored the galaxy. We've explored the universe. 
and we can unlock the secrets of the stars to you. In return, just let us keep the crystal while you go explore, Agra. We'll give you this technology. Don't worry, the crystal's safe in our hands. We're wise men after all. Oh, I don't trust that. Now, they know all of this stuff about the stars and Agra is just drawn to the stars. Drawn to the stars so much that she gets lost in them. <gasps> Years pass. And these wise men are called the Skeksis. Skeksis. And the Skeksis siphon the energy of the crystal. That helps to keep them alive unnaturally. Okay. Now, of the creatures on Thra, the favorite uh, uh, group of creatures for Agra, well, they're the Gelfling. And the Gelfling are these just wonderful little creatures. Wonderful little creatures. They're all different kinds of groups of them. Some of them live underground, some of them live up on high, and so on and so forth. And they trust the Agra, so they trust the Skeksis. The Agra said they're to be trusted. That's what we do. So they don't know what's going on with the crystal because the Skeksis have the crystal in hiding. And the crystal is darkening. Oh, no. Now, remember, the crystal is what provides the energy of the whole planet. So if it darkens, that is going to affect all the creatures in the planet itself. Mm. So what happens when the Skeksis start noticing, oh, this darkening is actually harming us because we can no longer pull the power of the crystal as well. That means we're, maybe we're going to die. Uh-oh. So what can they do? Well, they turn to a Gelfling and steal her essence. Oh. Now, another Gelfling sees this. They try to stop him. They try to discredit him. Do the other Gelfling believe him when he gets out, including his father? Because this Gelfling is one of the guards of the Skeksis. And he's, so he's one of the focal points. There are two others. Another is one of the princesses for the Gelfling. She discovers this darkening via a book. <laughs> so she gets this vision of it. And another one is one of the underground Gelfling. She is connected to this big tree, its roots. It communicates with her and tells her, this is what's happening. So the three of them know what's going on. They don't know each other, though. Mm. And what are the Skeksis going to do about it? Hmm? What kinds of secrets and lies are they going to tell to stay on top? And what secrets happens when the Agra, what mm -hmm. happens when the Agra comes back? from exploring the stars to find Thra in the state it's in. She can't hear its song anymore. Oh, oh my goodness. And then from there, of course, we have adventure and all kinds of stuff. Now, let me tell you this. Sounds kind of like, whoa. You think Lord of the Rings, of course. Of course. You think never-ending story. Yes. Yeah, maybe you even think legend. Of course. <laughs> Does it live up to that? Does it live up to the movie, which a lot of people love? You better believe it. Oh. Let me tell you something. Let me tell this is what I'm talking about. Oh my gosh. Here Do we, we have to go to puppets to get this? <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you this, Ref. There's so much to it. There's so much to it, I can't binge it. Oh. I have to take it in installments. I haven't even finished it. I've watched six of the 10 episodes. I can't okay. binge it because it's too much. And I'm going, is this for kids? Really? This, I can't, I almost can't believe they made it. I almost can't believe they made it. It is dark when it gets dark. 
It's mm. sad. It's upsetting. I wanted to jump through the TV at some moments. These are puppets. Puppets. <laughs> and, and the thing is, Ref, it's not like they don't look like puppets. No, th this is the Jim Henson Company. They want you to see the work. You know they're puppets. You oh. know it. And that's what I love about it even more. Because I can tell they're puppets. Why not? I don't care if it's not authentic. It's a fantasy show, Game of Thrones. Oh, whoops. Now, let me continue. Please. So, we have that. We're thinking of all of that. I like it better than the movie. I don't know if that's sacrilege. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> I like it better than the movie. I'm sorry. I liked it better. Now, at the very beginning, Ref, Sigourney Weaver is the person they have to tell you the story that I just said. Oh, Most she's brilliant. Yeah, that's great. That's brilliant. Because I when, a lot of times I, I just check a show before I actually dive in to see how I need to watch it. Because maybe I can be doing some other stuff while I'm watching. <laughs> so I checked in on the opening episode. She started talking. I said, pause. I'll come back to this later. <laughs> it, the look of it, the whole thing, the way they blend CGI and puppetry. I mean, it's just so much. I will say this, everybody. Along with Sigourney Weaver, here's some other people in this voice cast. Taryn Egerton Please. is in it. Oh, we have yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy. We have Natalie Emanuel, who was Masande in Game of Thrones. We have Eddie Izzard, Helena Bonham Carter, Katrina Balfe. Mm -hmm. You got Toby Jones, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, Lena Headey, another Game of Thrones oh, wow. veteran. Alicia Vikander, Natalie Dormer, Mark Strong. I mean, come on. Oh, yes, come on. Mark. Jason Isaacs. Simon Pegg, Benedict yeah. Wong, Mark Hamill, Andy Samberg, <laughs> Keegan Michael Key, Aquafina, Harvey Firestein. Okay. Wow. These people came to work. They came to work. <laughs> oh my. Okay. We're seeing right. some of this, some of this animation with these people doing voice work, and it ain't right. Not here. The Skeksis. Oh. These, this group of people or creatures, I should say. You should, the language, because they're so smart, they talk that way, even though they're cruel and nasty. Like one of the, the Gelfling, one of the Gelfling, he gets this essence they stole from the other Gelfling, runs away with it. And the line is, he's absconding with the essence. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. Oh my gosh, okay. So, <laughs> I will say this, if you, if you love the Dark Crystal movie, certainly check it out. If you didn't see it, you don't need to see the movie for this to work. You do not. Okay. Um, the only thing I'll say is, it's not for really little kids. It gets scary. No, it's also fun and light at times, but it can get dark, it can be upsetting, and it can be scary. Okay. So I will okay. say that, not for really young kids, but everybody else, hey, have fun. Wow, you apparently did. <laughs> So, <laughs> The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, again, is on Netflix. And moving on to another streaming uh, network, Wu-Tang, an American saga. Now, you're thinking to yourself, oh, that's, that's the documentary on Showtime, right? No, no, no. This is fiction. This is narrative. It is loosely based on the formation of the Wu-Tang Clan. clan. Um, the famous hip-hop group out of New York. Uh -oh. um, and the first four episodes are available right now as of taping on Hulu. And then from there on, it'll be like a regular TV show. I, listen, I watched the first episode oh. um, upon my return. Yes, I did. 
And I, I didn't get to go past that because I had a very, very busy weekend of catching up on sleep. So, <laughs> so I am going, we're going to hear from the critic, his thoughts, and it's been critically reviewed um, and, and every, people love it. So the question is, will the critic agree with that? Or is this something that we could have just left off with the documentary? Do we need this TV show? Yeah. Um, now look, I'm a fan of Wu-Tang this way. I like them. <laughs> Even I like them more than some of their music. I like the people. <laughs> so does this work I mean, for me? Well, it, we'll find out. It, it, no, no, no. I think I, hopefully you'll get to because some of our listeners are not hip hop heads, but they may know the individuals rather than the yeah. group. So right. please listen carefully, um, listeners. He's going to go walk us through this. Yeah. So it's co-created by really the founding member of Wu Tang, RZA. Everybody knows RZA. Just go watch Kill Bill again soundtrack. RZA. RZA. So he co-created with Alex uh, C. And Alex did a miniseries that Showtime did in the early 2000s, I believe, that I really enjoyed. Spike Lee directed it, Sucker Free City. Anthony Mackie was in it, along with a whole bunch of other people. If you haven't seen that, I still recommend it. You can so still watch I, it on, net, on Showtime if you can, if you have that. There you go. So when I saw the two of them together, I went, hmm. Hmm. Now, we are in the 90s in New York City, in uh, Staten Island, to be specific. And at the center of everything is RZA, whose name is not RZA right now. It's Bobby, played by Ashton Sanders. Oh, you know who he is. Think yes, Moonlight. Moonlight, right. Mm -hmm. Native Son. Mm -hmm. Native Son, the HBO uh, movie. So, okay. You know, he's a teenager. He's got an older brother. Yes. <laughs> fine. Who is a drug dealer. A, yes. a good one. A very good one. Very smart. Very on it. Um, and <laughs> one of his uh, drug dealing pals is somebody else we know. <laughs> Who? Ghostface. Ghostface? Now, he's not <laughs> ghost at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay? So they all, they don't have these names yet. Right. Then there's a rival faction of drug dealers. Mm. And in this rival faction, it's Raekwon. Uh-oh. What? <laughs> but of course, he's not Raekwon at the moment. And it it's real. People are shooting at each other. Oh, boy. Yeah. Now, RZA is friends with all of them. <laughs> so he's just in the middle and he is in the basement of his mama's house making his beats he's <laughs> trying to get this thing going now he's not he hasn't thought of Wu-Tang yet but you know all the guys come and hang out and they might rap across his track he wants the best equipment how does he get it uh oh and so on and so forth and he has a, a sister a younger brother as well and the mom is played by Erica Alexander. Oh, you know who that is. Pam. Pam. <laughs> so that's essentially what's going on. And the question is, what's going to happen between these two rival factions of drug dealers? 
also, as you go through the series across the four episodes, you get to know the people better. For instance, you get to know what Ghostface's home life is like. Mm. He has two brothers who are disabled. He's the one caring for them. Why? What's going on with dad? What's going on with mom? Oh, geez. You see that she's falling asleep with some liquor in her hand. <laughs> liquor. So, you know, whoa. So, yeah, he might be a drug dealer, but there's some nuance to the characterizations that are so good here, and so on and so forth. I really don't want to give more of it away. Okay. But I okay. do want to say that I was so pleased to see this show. Is it perfect? No. Do I care? No. Are they going, oh, let's make this real and gritty and, you know, ooh, this is really what, you know, Staten Island was like. No, they are telling their story. They are just telling the story. They don't have to worry about all that nonsense. And I appreciate that. I think, Ref, that the casting is just, I, who would have thought? Because it's not like all of them look like the guys, the real ones, right, except, for, right. except for ODB. He looks just like <laughs> outside of that because I sometimes have to remind myself because they're not using their stage names who they are I'm like wait no right. that's Ghostface that's Raekwon that's now RZA is is easy because he's the main but I have to keep reminding myself sometimes but it doesn't even matter because they have the essence of these guys you do get some tragedies here throughout this show people do die we do see what's going on with drug dealing but we also see what happens uh, as they emerge as rappers and RZA as a musician. And the question is, Ref, what happens when RZA's left alone to care for his family? I won't tell you exactly what that is. If you mm -hmm. saw the documentary, you know what it is. Right. Um, and I will say, if you saw the documentary, this is great. It's a great companion to it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what you thought, Ref, uh, from episode one, but you know, episode four. And in episode four, actually what you get is some character building. And that was so smart. They set up the story in the first three episodes more. Then you start getting into other characters because there's some relationships that are in hiding that I won't give away. Oi, oi, oi. Now, here's a question for you really quickly. Do you suggest, like, if you've already seen the documentary, obviously you'll be well-equipped, um, but because Wu-Tang is such a intricate, uh, how, I don't even know how many people there are in this group. It's like, it's the largest formation of hip-hop It depends artists. on the year. Yeah, it does. It's like, sometimes you're rolling deep a good 15, um, or it seems that way. But because of that, do you suggest, hey, go watch the documentary real quick first? Or do you say, just jump into this if you haven't seen it, you'll be able to understand and go along because the story is strong. You can do it either way, honestly. Um, now, if you're someone who goes, I gotta know who these guys are, then maybe watch the documentary. But it works on its own. Like it, it doesn't, it, it, even if this were completely fictional, it would work. Because again, they're just telling the story. They're not worried about, oh, how real is this? That's not mm. the point. And that's what makes it feel more honest. It is not about, I'm just, I've had it. I've had it with the nonsense. And that's why I'm so happy when I see shows like this. It doesn't have to be perfect, but this is what we were talking about again. These are people who care about the story they're telling. And where in the world is Erica Alexander been? 
<laughs> well, I am happy that uh, the cast is so strong and the story is so strong. Oh, and I, I should have said Shamik Moore as well. Right? I was going to say, I was about to say that. That's so funny. I was like, there's going to be a familiar <laughs> face. Uh, Shamiki plays um, Raekwon. So mm -hmm. that's pretty, um, you know where that's going to go if you know the Wu-Tang story. Now, shifting over back to Netflix, and we'll stay there for a second. The Spy, which is a new miniseries, uh, about six episodes, starring <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen. So we already know, already immediately, you know the potential mm -hmm. <laughs> of the ridiculousness. You got a chance to see it. Do tell us what it's all about. Now, uh, it's based on a true story. Oh. So it's, it's based on uh, one of the uh, top spies in history for the Mossad. That's Israel's, um, you know, undercover agency. Mm -hmm. So, um, what's It's not like Zohan Adamson. Like no. <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is not a comedy. Okay, there we go. Not a comedy at all. Um, so what happened is, uh, so it was this whole conflict, the conflict between Israel and Syria uh, is really coming to a head at this period in, in, in history. Um, and you'll figure that out when you watch the show. So what Israel needs is someone to go into Syria to see what's going on because they think they're up to something that's no good that will kill Israelis. You know, they've already done certain things that suggest that, that they have some secret thing happening. So they need an agent to pretend to be Syrian, to be able to get in there. Now there's this whole complicated way that they do that. But the thing is they need to find someone new. They can't use their current agents because this is, takes a particular skill set and makeup. You gotta be believable as a Syrian. Now, Sasha Baron Cohen plays Eli Cohen. Um, and his brother is already a, already a Mossad agent. And they don't like having more than one family member in the Mossad, because that can cause problems. So he has applied to be a part of the Mossad before they've rejected him. And the head uh, of this team that's been created for the Mossad, his name is, is Dan, and he's played by Noah Emmerich from the Americans. Mm-hmm, mm yeah, yeah. So Noah's like, look, I don't want anybody who wants to be a Mossad agent to be a Mossad agent. That's mm. a red flag. But because of the circumstances, they have to go with Eli. He's the one. And so they have to train him. There's this whole thing of, of, of the first meeting, what he does, how they greet him. They train him. They train him to be a Syrian. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So all of that, you know, he, he can't be Jewish. He's got to be a Muslim. Roy, oi. Now he does this really well, maybe too well, maybe too well. And he doesn't always follow directions. But mm. look, he's a one-man band. When you're undercover, that's yeah. it. Ain't nobody coming yeah. to help you. They're not coming into Syria. <laughs> okay? So he's got to follow that. And then the, the thing is, over time, he starts to lose himself mm -hmm. in his alter ego. 
Now he, they set him up with a great cover story. He's this wealthy man, all of that. So, you know, people are drawn to his wealth and just to him as a person. He winds up going all the way to the top of the Syrian government. I won't tell you exactly how. Oh my gosh. And I won't tell you exactly the role. And I won't tell you the ending if you don't know it already. But of course, this is tragic. I'll put it that way. So I think that's enough. I don't want to give too much away. Don't give any more. That was a great tease. Now this ref comes to us from Gideon Raff, who is responsible for Homeland, the original from Israel. Ah. So, okay. We know this is his world. And the thing is, it's good. However, there are two things I have to say about it as cautions. One is, it makes perfect sense to cast Sasha Baron Cohen as this in this role because Does he's it? a chameleon. Because okay. he's a chameleon. Okay. Like I understand the thinking. They're going, mm-hmm. he has to be believable as Eli and as Kamel, his Syrian right. alter ego. We need an actor who's facile that way. Okay. However, when we see him, we think Borat. Yeah. We think everything else he's done. So that was difficult. I always saw Sasha. I always saw Sasha, even though he was doing good work. Right. And what I think what would have helped him is my second caution. The real story here is how Eli loses himself. And they don't really get there until the end. And that was a problem. When that kicked in, I was really engaged. I wasn't just going, oh, this is good. I was going, hmm, this is interesting. Ooh, what's happened? It just, they didn't, they could have dragged that throughout all of these episodes. That's what I would have done. Just every, just in the beginning, show us a little hint, maybe episode three, a little hint of him forgetting something, losing himself, a little more. And then it just, you know, it becomes a snowball effect because he has a wife at home. She's alone for years. Like oh, over boy. a year at one stretch. Years. He comes back. <laughs> and he comes back and, you know, how can he actually shrug off Kamel when he's been this this man for so long? That, to me, should have been the focus. It wasn't. And that's my not. But overall, again, I think it's good. I think if you like this kind of spy stuff, this is going to work for you. Also, just knowing who Eli Cohen is, is worth it. Wow, that sounds really, really interesting. Let's stick with Netflix and end this first half with Unbelievable. Mm. Again, we're still in the series premiere, so this is not something we've seen before. It's again on Netflix, just eight episodes, and I hear it's pretty unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, just look, Katie Couric is one of the executive producers. Yes, yeah, uh, co-creators. It's not a uh, light watch. <laughs> it, no, uh, Susanna Grant is a co-creator here, and if you're thinking, well, who's that? She's responsible for Party of Five. Uh, she wrote the screenplay for Aaron Brockovich. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, okay, along with Michael Shabon, the wonderful author, and Ayelet Wald- Waldman. Uh, so they're creating it. It is based on a true story. It's based on true reportage. And w- let's just get to this. Now, brace yourself. Yeah, because when you told me, I was just like, whoa, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. It's 2008. We're in Washington State. And uh, a, a teenager, uh, Marie, played by Caitlin Dever, has just been, just take a breath, raped. Okay. Oh, she is in her apartment. 
she's talking to a cop. We see in flashbacks what she's reliving. She's withdrawn, she's kind of confused. So she's trying to explain what happened. The man who did it had a mask, wore all black, had a book bag. He tied her up with her own shoelaces. Oh my gosh. He was methodical, he was methodical. And unfortunately, it lasted a long time. Oh jeez. He take a shower. He left no trace of anything. They go, they try to find some sort of DNA, something, nothing. Chase. Now, maybe they get a print of a glove. Maybe they get a print of a shoe somewhere. But this guy isn't the normal kind of criminal. He knows something. But Marie, she has been in the system as a kid. She's been in foster home after foster home after foster home. So she has a very complicated history. And two of her favorite foster mothers, they find out about this, they come to help her. But they have reservations. They go, did this really happen? Mm. The detectives, as a result, and as a result of other things, also have a similar kind of idea. So where does that go? I won't tell you. We shuttle forward three years, 2011. We're in Colorado. Another rape has happened. Oi. Now, this time, it sounds familiar. Guy with mask, book bag, methodical, takes his time, does some similar things. Is there a connection? We don't know. But in 2011, this time, we have two detectives. The first we find, the first we meet, is played by Merritt Weaver. Now, Merritt Weaver, if you know Merritt, is not a normal anything, let alone a normal detective. (laughs) So just her presence alone is very interesting. And she is a great detective, unorthodox, but very serious, very dedicated, will stay at the job, will have everybody else stay at the job, has interesting thoughts. So she's thinking about this. Who is this guy? Is he possibly a cop? Oh, my gosh. And by happenstance, because her husband is a cop, she's a detective, her husband works in a different area of Colorado. He hears about this and says, hmm, this sounds familiar. Mm. And the detective at his precinct, now wait for this one, everybody, is played by Tony Collette. Oh my gosh, okay. So the two detectives, Detective uh, Rasmussen played by Tony and Detective Duvall played by Merritt, they meet. Now, Detective Rasmussen, played by Tony Collette, ain't Merritt Weaver. <laughs> okay? She ain't about none of the nonsense. This is what it is. Don't come to me with a bunch of nonsense. Give me my coffee. Let's get this done. So the interaction between the two detectives, it's dynamite. Like, those two personalities, that's really the show. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is this really connected? They know nothing about what happened in 2008. I won't tell you why. But they're trying to connect dots. Maybe it's something going on. Maybe this is a serial rapist. They don't know. Are there other women who've been victims? Because the other thing is, if it is a serial rapist, he doesn't have a type. Mm. All these different women are different completely. There is no type. You can't go by race, by age, or anything else. 
And if they're right, he knows which priest precincts uh, actually police which uh, parts of Colorado. So he only he picks women from one woman from each precinct area. So oh they, my because he knows they don't con- they don't uh, communicate. <laughs> right. Okay. Whoa. So that's whoa. enough of that. Now, Jeez. the storytelling, the style here, they don't. It's not a lot of frills. It's very matter of fact. In the first episode, it's pretty much about Caitlin Dever's character Marie setting all of that up. And I was watching it. It's tough to watch. Um, and I was going, hmm, do I want to continue? As I was watching it. Right. It's good. It was good, straightforward, no nonsense work. But I wasn't gripped. So I was kind of like, oh, is this going to be worth it? It's a lot for me to take. Then you start meeting Merritt Weaver and Tony Collette. And I was like, okay. Like, all of that made sense. And then getting into episode two, the show starts to really show what it is you don't know from episode one so i would say if you're interested in this definitely make it to merit and tony before you give up on the show if that's the case you might be okay with it because it is still good in the beginning and while it's not perfect there's like one moment where they get to preaching a bit and i was like oh you didn't need that we got the message things like that but outside of little moments like that i mean really tony collette and merit weaver together it's just it's great work and they help you to get through the story. Caitlin Dever as Marie is excellent. I mean, the rest of the cast, all of these people are wonderful. Even if you don't know who they are, these are vets and they came to mm. work. They came to work. Gotcha. And in the end, you see what comes of all of it. So was it worth it? I did finish this. Yes, it certainly was. So I would say if you want to know what happened here, if you're into the true crime thing, or if you're just into a good drama that's about tough stuff, then Unbelievable is certainly for you. Wow. Okay. So there you go. Let's take a break and we'll be right back because guess what? We've got a couple season premieres and some season finales. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea, and we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.